Okay, here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to start there and see where we end up. Corey's already told me I'm not allowed to chase rabbits, which those of you that have heard me in the past know that I am a rabbit hunter. And if I see one, I will chase it. (laughs) So, therefore, that's why I say we'll start in Philippians and see where we end up. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. That is a scriptural promise that has been an anchor in my life for a very long time. Being in ministry, actually, for 26 years, reinvigorating several churches along the way, I had to have some anchors. Most of you would understand that when you start anything from nothing, there's a lot of time before, like that seed growing, uh, before you actually see some fruit of what you're endeavoring or what you've been asked to do. And so many times between the beginning of something and the actual fruitful time, there's a lot of difficult time that you need to have an anchor and a promise. And this was one of my promises. I want to pass that promise on to you, especially verse six, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Understanding that God started the work. We accepted his provision and operation in our life when we gave our life to him. And we started a journey. And oftentimes that journey is difficult. It's arduous. There's a lot of things that are not familiar, like we explained a little bit before. And we have these promises to hold on to, that it's Jesus's work. He started it in us. We just accepted him and asked him to come in and and walk this journey with us. So as we do that, not only has he has he started a work, but he's promised to complete it. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I have a tendency, if you would talk to my wife um, about it, that I can start something and not finish it. I'm a great project starter and not so great of a project finisher. It's comforting to know that somebody starts stuff and finishes it. And when God's one that starts stuff and finishes it, that's a great promise. And that's a great comfort to me. So from there, I want to go to an Old Testament scripture in Numbers, which is one of the great stories that we learn in Sunday school and preachers preach about it over and over. So I want to talk about this story a little bit today. It's the story of how that when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, they'd gone through an amazing miracle to get them out of Egypt. God had just done supernatural stuff and they were they had moved on and they were now faced with looking at the promised land and and the opportunity to go into this promised land that he had that God had promised that they would um, inherit. And so he didn't just caused them to wake up one morning and they were in the promised land with, you know, palm branches kind of fanning them and, you know, all kinds of neat food to eat and no obstacles. 
He didn't do that. He gave them a promise and he set a journey in motion that would give them opportunity to partner with him in that process should they choose. It's the same process that we're in. We have a journey that he's unfolding before us. We don't have to walk in it. We don't have to grow. We don't have to change. We don't have to actually participate in this journey at all if we don't want to. But if we do, when we do, it's going to be a neat experience. So I'm going to talk about one of those neat experiences today. So in verse 25 of Numbers chapter 13, it says, And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they sent Moses sent spies into the land. And they're going to check it out. So they sent the spies, kind of fast forwarding to that, and they're going to go check out the land for 40 days. They departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation in verse 26 of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Padan at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb was one of those guys. He was not average. He was one of those guys that didn't necessarily look at the obstacles as it was presented to them. He kept the promise in his heart and he kept his eyes on the promise. And that helped to determine his trajectory or his path forward. Always around you, you will have people that will be looking at the obstacles and not the promise. I want to challenge you today that whatever God has promised you, you are going to have obstacles in in the way of arriving at that promise. It's just the way it works. Amen? But as you journey, remember it's His work. It's the work that He's begun in you. This journey through the wilderness and out of Egypt and all of that was God's journey with them. They were going to learn about themselves on that journey. They were going to find out about weaknesses and faults that they had that needed to be overcome and needed to be worked on. Places where they lacked in faith and courage. Uh, They would learn things about themselves that they probably didn't even want to know. But that's part of God's design. He's helping us to see who we are and He's helping us to become who He's designed and destined for us to become. And so... Here they are. They're in this process. Here's a Caleb that stands up and tries to quiet the people because the first thing that they're now thinking about is giants. They're scared to death of giants because they're not giants. Giants are bigger than them. They have bigger muscles. They have bigger spears, clubs, whatever. I don't know what they use, but um, they're just bigger. And they know that they could, you know, overpower them or whatever. So, Number one, the obstacles came. Caleb is trying to give them instruction out of the promise and not the obstacle. 
In verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that, here again, obstacle, devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are great, are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. See, they're reiterating the obstacle. How many times have you come up against a hard spot in your life and you keep reiterating how hard it is? How difficult this spot is. That's pretty human, pretty normal, but and human tendency. But it's not necessarily what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? They're reiterating the problem. They're reiterating the difficulty of it. They're speaking over and over about these giants. We saw the giants, verse 33 again, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. That's a bad image. Okay, that's a that's going to produce a bad trajectory when you see yourself as something other than what God has determined and destined for you to be. That's not going to end well. All right. So they began to see themselves based on what they saw in the natural. They began to see themselves based on that image that was beginning to form in their mind. They had already accepted defeat before they had even given the report to their leader. So they declared that we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And then it says, and so we were in their sight. I'm not, I'm not thinking that they had any interaction with those people. They were obviously scared to death of them. So these people, they're spying out the land. I could picture, you know, them, what's this, what is it, a ghillie suit that they the guys in the military crawl around in or hunters crawl around in so that they hide themselves from the enemy or whatever or from the prey that they're after. And uh, so they're probably going as much incognito as they possibly can. I don't picture that they've gone up and, and struck up conversations with these giants. But somehow they managed to end up with a perspective that not only were they grasshoppers in their own sight, but they made declaration that they were also grasshoppers in the sight of the enemy. And the enemy doesn't even know that they exist yet. That's messed up. That's a trajectory that we start in our head. That's an image that we begin to uh, develop in our head that doesn't line up with what God's promise is. That doesn't end well. The trick is, that we find out what God's plan and purpose for our life is, what he says about us, and then begin to operate on that trajectory. By faith, we operate on what he has said. He told me in his word that he started the work in me. And the promise is that he is going to complete it. I'm not going to doubt that. God, you started something in me. You're a finisher of what you started. I'm trusting that you're going to finish it. I'm going to stay in the game and believe that regardless of what I see naturally, you're going to overcome that because you're more powerful than the obstacles that I face. How many times did Israel actually see God come through in absolutely unbelievable, miraculous ways? I I just can't imagine that when you're standing on the banks of the Red Sea, Red Sea or whatever it was, and that thing just splits open, it's a pretty big deal. 
That is a really big deal, you know. And now they're facing giants, and they just saw the Red Sea split in half so they could get over when their enemies were breathing down their neck, and already God's not able to do the next thing. I want to declare to you this morning with the authority of the Word of God that God is able to do the next thing. It may seem like it's a a bigger obstacle than the last one that you went through, but God's bigger than the obstacle that you're facing. He's bigger than the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. He will see you through. All it takes is for us to have faith in God. That's easy to say. Harder to do. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. What is that? What is that that causes us to see the obstacle and want to run back to the the horrible dysfunction of where we were in the past? It's familiarity. It's familiarity. See, they remembered in one spot, it says, we just want to go back to the leeks and the onions. Well, what is that? I'm not sure what a leek is, but I don't know. It's, it's some, kind of, some kind of vegetable. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, onions or something similar or whatever. So, but they wanted that. That's all they could think of. They couldn't think or remember that they were being beaten. They couldn't remember that they were slaves that had been now liberated. All they wanted to do was go back to something where they had some measure of control or so it would appear or feel over where they were. Be careful on your journey when you get into places that are uncomfortable that you don't by default want to go back to where you were. God's not into going backwards. Amen? And as the body of Christ, we're not into going backwards either. Sometimes it may feel like we're going backwards. Sometimes it may feel like we're in a in such an uncomfortable spot that we we don't know where we are. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what to think. And it feels like we're 10 years behind where we have come to. But that in itself is a lie as well. So God is taking us places as I have enjoyed watching the process um, in the last year or so of CLFC and Pastor Quentin and Jen coming and watching them have time to settle in. I now sense that they are finding a rhythm that works well with us as a congregation, and I see personal and corporate growth and expect to see more in the future. Why did I bring that into this part of the message? Well, to me, it's partly about what this message is about. Pastor Quentin is predominantly a teacher, which in turn lends itself to discipleship, which in turn lends itself to coming to church on Sunday, and you're going to be faced with... A challenging word. Any time that the word is preached and teaching is done based on the word of God, we're going to have an opportunity to be met with who we are based on what's being ministered. And a lot of times they don't line up. Amen? A lot of times where God wants us to go and where we are don't match. That's part of the process of ministry of the word, examining ourselves, And allowing God to bring change over time. So in the process of discipleship and the teaching of the word of God, a lot of times, you know, in different circles, I grew up in kind of the charismatic Pentecostal world where, you know, we're jumping around and bouncing off the chandeliers and doing whatever we're accused of doing. Hallelujah. 
And sometimes we can be somewhat superficial or experiential, if you will. And we're just wanting to be touched by the Holy Spirit. And, and it doesn't really matter how deep it goes or how much lasting change is done. It's just we want to know that the Holy Spirit's there and sense His presence. And that's awesome and amazing. And it is. It is awesome and amazing. But then we still have to encounter the Word, which begins to transform our life. And that's always, regardless of what vein that you came out of, is always attached to some work. Amen? It's like the farmer that's, the teacher is like the farmer that's plowing ground. And he's turning up the old hard fallow ground, like the word says, and he's causing new soil to be exposed so that it can be planted and not just be this wild field of of just all kind of weird whatever growing that happened to be dropped by some bird uh, that came along the way or flock thereof. We just cut down some trees in our front yard of the state did because they were they were declared a, a, a not a menace to society but a hazard to the general public. And one of those trees, they were marveling at the tree because in the very top of it there was a, a Y, and apparently I would suspect some bird came along and dropped a seed in that fork, and the tree was kind of rotting. And over time, a birch tree started to grow. So this hybrid, you know, black locust tree um, in our front yard had this this white birch, you know, tree growing out of the middle of it. And it was really weird looking, honestly, when they brought it down. It looked like the, the tree was quite small, but it was actually probably about six or eight inches. And they said it was actually splitting that tree apart um, as it grew in the center. I don't know why I told you that story, but it had something to do with birds and seeds. That was a rabbit, and I chased it. Good rabbit. Thank you. Thank you. It's my greatest supporter right here in the front. So So while those seeds are being planted, and as Pastor Quentin is is just diligently, I love listening to him personally. Um, I love hearing the word. I love just steadily, line on line, just going at it and learning. But it's that part about teaching that causes us to be faced with ourselves and having to think through our process of where we are based on the word. It takes effort and it takes commitment. With a strong teaching and discipleship trajectory comes an open door for introspection. And that meaning the opportunity to examine ourselves based on what the word says. Introspection is the process of examining our own thoughts or feelings. The problem with introspection is that many times we examine ourselves according to the Word of God and we do not like what we see and then we want to stop that process at any cost. I'm going to encourage you today to let Him work in you. Let God work in you. Let the Word work in you. Take the time to let the seed of God through His Word bring change and transformation to your life. Solid, steady change that will cause you to become what God has destined you to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. It's important that we're not just haphazardly walking through life, but that we're examining ourselves, not based on what culture says, or even our own personal heritage says, but what does the word of God say? 
examining ourselves based on the word of God and then changing accordingly. God is constantly working in us and wanting to do in us all that he's destined to do. But then we know that in this introspective state, we have to be careful because in a place of introspection, when you're examining yourself and you're looking deeply and intimately at where you are based on whatever uh, that's being preached at the time, we can also go into a place of discouragement and depression because it seems like we'll never become what the promise says that we'll become or that we'll never get past the place that we're in because it's too much work or it's too difficult to do. Overwhelming. Maybe if we bring it down to uh, to a place where as we were growing up, a lot of times our, our parents would want us to do something. You know, I had eight brothers and sisters, six sisters. Help me, Jesus. He did. You know, they were smart. My sisters were smart. They were like, oh, we'll do the dishes on, you know, through the week and and uh, you just do the dishes on Sunday and you'll just have one day and we'll do the rest. I'm like, yeah, sounds like a plan. Only to realize after I had sealed the deal in blood, you know, and I was stuck with my decision that Sunday was like the biggest, messiest meal of the of the week. And it seemed like it took me days to get through, you know, that pile. I remember like being a you know, 11, 12 years old and just hanging on the side of the dish. You know, the, the, there wasn't a dishwasher, the, the sink. You know, like I was chained to this horrible spot that I would never get free of. And it seemed like the, the, the way out was just never going to happen. And, and so sometimes we feel like that when, when God's working in us, His plan and purpose. I want to encourage you that As you stay in that process, you are changing. But it's probably more like the seed in the ground. Don't pull yourself up and disrupt what God is doing all the time. Let Him work. Amen? Let Him work. So be introspective for a while. Let the Word work. And then go on about your journey, letting it develop. Okay, I examine myself. Lord, I see where there's an an area of my life that's out of order. I know that it's out of order, and I'm asking you to help to bring order to that, that part of my life. Unfortunately, what we do a lot of times is we say, thanks, God, for the information. Thanks for helping to clarify that there's something out of order. I'll talk with you again when I get this fixed. And we find ourselves in a worse situation two months later because we can't fix ourselves. The only way that you're going to be fixed, the only way that we're going to change, the only way that we're going to grow is if he's in charge of the changing process. And so that requires humility. It requires an admission of guilt or being out of order. And it's a matter of humbling ourselves before him and saying, "Okay, Lord, if this is out of order, what's the process to bring it back in order? He says, first of all, rest in me. Rest. Do communion. Fellowship with me. Spend a little time with me over this issue. Stop the busyness and listen for a bit. Take out your word and let me speak to you through your word. 
Enter into worship with this in your mind. This thing that's out of order that he's revealed to us that's out of order. Maybe you're uh, dealing with that whole offense thing. Pastor has been preaching on that. That's, that's a tough subject. So if you think that you're going to breathe through the whole uh, offense subject without having some work to do, probably not. Right? Probably not. That's a hard one. That's a big one. And so if you're, uh, if you're just kind of going through those sermons going, he's going to be done with that soon. Don't do that. That's what I'm preaching about today. Don't do that part. Uh, don't ignore it. The good news is, is that God rewards all growth with pruning. Wait, that's not good news. Wait, that, hold, that's not good news. So, as you're growing, He's rewarding that growth with pruning. And you're looking at me like, is that good? You know, is that, is that not, that doesn't sound good. Is that right? Of course. You've seen an apple tree that's just gone wild, right? Left to its own, it's got stuff sprouting all over the place. Think about yourself. You know, you don't go to the barber or you don't go get your hair cut. Guess what? You just start looking crazy. <laughs> right? You guys don't shave for a while or, you know, pretty soon we start looking crazy. Um, because left untended, things just get out of control. And that's all he's saying. You're going to grow and you'll be growing in all kinds of different directions. But that doesn't mean it's in order. And so the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing that growth into order. Taking out the stuff that's not bringing life and and, uh, taking out the areas that's causing us to to be drained of life and and too much of where it's not supposed to. So God rewards all growth with pruning. So this discipleship process is is a pruning process as well. It's a self-examination process. It's, a, it's something that we're, we're, we're a part of for the rest of our life. But it's an awesome process, and God's making something beautiful out of your life. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What hindered you? That word hindered means to cut into, to impede one's course by cutting off one's way, to beat back as in a in the course of a ship, say in a storm. So that hindered is like being in a storm. What has hindered you from becoming all that God has destined you to be? Sometimes it's ourself. Sometimes it's that other batch of, you know, spy guys that are saying it can't be done. And in your heart you're like, no, no, we, we can do this. We can do this. But everybody else is saying it can't be done. And so you are faced with, do I just go with the flow or, or do I be the Joshua and the Caleb guys that said no? We may stay in this wilderness longer than we should, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to believe that God would have taken us through had we stepped out by faith. Do you know that those two guys that held their position of faith, even though they were held back like the rest of the congregation, do you realize that they were the leaders of the generation that went into the promised land and everybody that followed that other tent, they died off in the wilderness and that generation was not allowed to go into the promised land. But those two men 
who stood in faith and believed not what they saw, but what God promised them. Those two guys were the leaders of the next generation. And they took that congregation into the land of the giants and they whipped some butt. Excuse me. And didn't take names. They overcame the enemy because God said that they could. And they believed what God said and they did it and they accomplished it. So in the same way, what's hindering you? Is there anything hindering you? Maybe you're not hindered at all. There are times in my life when I've been greatly hindered by the circumstances that arise on my journey. There was a time in my life when circumstances happened and all of a sudden who I knew that I was destined to be was being robbed from me. I could feel that, that, I don't know, that mandate slipping from my grasp. I could feel myself detaching from that mandate. And life was overwhelming. And this person sent me a text message. Can you do lunch? That was amazing. I love lunch. Sometimes I stop and eat it. And so they said, can you do lunch? And I'm like, yes, I can. Uh, what day, blah, blah, blah. We figured out a day and we met for lunch. And in that lunch, she sat there and told me what she was seeing in my life and how that she felt that it wasn't what God had destined for me. And that I was allowing circumstances to rob me of what I was needing to be to that group of people. And I sat there, I knew it already, but I didn't see how the situation could change so that I could continue to become what I was destined to become. And she said, the circumstances don't dictate whether or not you are what God has destined you to be. What determines you being what God has called you to be is that you operate in that gifting regardless of what you see around you. So I stepped away from that lunch. You know, she reached across the table and she looked into my eyes and she held on to my hand and she said, we need you to be who God has called you to be. It wasn't my wife. It was my sister. And it was Friday. And she said, you're slipping. And it's not working for us. And I know it doesn't make sense where you've been put. I'm not talking about my work. It's more of a family situation since my dad's passing. And she said, you've always been the spiritual leader in our family and you've stopped doing it. And you're hiding from us. And you're killing us. And we need you to stop it. So there was my discipleship moment. My Joshua and Caleb, I don't know, maybe uh, was a Miriam, somebody. And uh, she got in my face in a very kind and sisterly sort of way and said, stop it. You're killing us and you're killing yourself. 
because you're not exercising the giftings that God's placed on your life. So I'm not talking about something that I overcame and handled 20 years ago as I became a father in the faith. No, this is a real journey, and we get thrust into situations that are over our head probably for the rest of our life. And no matter how spiritually mature you become or no matter how much experience you've had as a, as a, as a Christian or a minister or whatever you want to call it, we're going to face obstacles that are overwhelming because every obstacle that is overwhelming takes us beyond ourselves and causes us to have faith in God that, that, and, and causes us to see Him do things in our life that we can't do by ourselves. So I, I went home. I told my wife what had happened, and she said, makes sense to me. Just do it. She's the kind of lady that when you get sick, you just need to get well. <laughs> and I love her for it. So she said, you just need to do it. She's right. Your sister's right. Just do it. So I think it was appropriate that Pastor Quentin had asked me to speak today because even doing this today is thrusting me back into part of God's design and plan and purpose for my life. It's not to just be in the shadows. I've got to be what he's called me to be. He's called me to the marketplace for this season. That's an interesting part of my journey as well. But to influence the marketplace, if you're going to be an influence in the marketplace, you're going to go through some stuff too. Because you have to be equipped to deal with what's going to be thrown with you out there as well. It's one thing to be a pastor and to have everything that surrounds you to be pastoral and Christian and we're training Christians, we're developing Christians, we're preaching to Christians, we're doing whatever to Christians. It's a, it's a jungle out there. And so I have a new respect for those of you that are out there and have been out there in times past. Keeping the faith in the marketplace is no easy task. And that's why we need to be discipled. That's why we need the Pastor Quintons in our life that are just going to be relentlessly teaching us the word, teaching us God's perspective, giving us the opportunity to stand in faith and do it his way, God's way. As we um, try to find a close for this today, I want to turn to Mark chapter 6 and verse 14. You remember, you know, when Jesus was emerging onto the scene, John the Baptist had gone before him. And John the Baptist had, had, had great influence in the region. And John the Baptist's assignment was to pave the way or to be a, a way opener, a way maker for, for Jesus. And, excuse me, he did a great job at that. And in verse 14, we find that King Herod heard of this guy, Jesus, heard his name become well known, and he said, John the Baptist has risen from the dead because he'd been allowed he was very angry with John the Baptist back in the day because John the Baptist had called out called him out in his sin and Herod didn't like it most people don't 
I don't. It's just, it's like, ah. You have a lot of nerve to call me out of my sin. But anyway, thank God for people that can do it. But he called him out in his sin and he wanted to kill him for it. But he couldn't because he feared the people Herod did. And so eventually there was a party and Herod, his daughter was dancing and it was amazing. And, and he, he got all moved by it. And he said, as fathers do, by the amazing things that their kid does. And he says, you can have anything um, that you want to ask me for up to half of my kingdom. And her, his, his wife conspired with the daughter and asked for John the Baptist's head. And he was killed that night. So fast forwarding a little bit. Now this word of this new guy is traveling around, who's Jesus, and they're saying, it's Elijah, it's, it's John the Baptist here. It's like, no, no, it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. This, that was not a good decision that I made, and this is not going to end well for me. It's got to be him, and he's, you know, it's kind of like that classic movie thing. Um, it's coming to get me. But it wasn't John the Baptist. It was Jesus. And Jesus was on the scene. He was doing his work. I want to fast forward through the story because I just told you the story. The news of Jesus and his disciples' work and influence was spreading rapidly through the region. Herod recounted the beheading of John the Baptist, believing that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. So, okay, we got that part. Mark felt it important to insert in this part of the reading that over a little bit further, it says in verse 30, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had been taught. See, he had been sending them out. They were ministering and, and amazing things was happening because he was empowering them to do it. In verse 31, and he said to them, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while for there were many coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So my point is, is that with all of this happening with how they were impacting their region, even the officials, Herod was an official, he was an elected official, and that would be the representation of the government. So the government was being affected by what they were doing. The community was being affected by what the disciples were doing, what Jesus was doing. And he said to them, in the middle of this influence that you're having on your region, the impact that you're having on the region, it's necessary that you come away for a while and take a moment to put things in order to rest a while, to pray, to seek my face, to get into a healthy place where you're not overwhelmed by the task at hand or by the accusations that are being leveled against you by those that are being affected, sometimes adversely, by your message. Mark felt it important to insert this community governmental inside look to help us to see that the impact that they were having in the marketplace was very real. Trauma happens in our life on a regular basis. It was trauma in my family that caused me to begin to shrink back from who God had destined me to be. I responded to the trauma and the decisions based on that event. And I let myself shrink back from my role, even in my own personal family. Trauma happens in our life on a regular basis, and its design is meant to keep us from operating in God's given destiny for our life. I believe that as the word says in Matthew 5.13, that he's called us to be salt and light. And regardless of what trauma that we face, I believe that he is faithful 
to send us a sister, send us a brother, send us a friend, send us a, a pastor, like Pastor Quentin and Jen, that will come and teach us the Word, that will help bring order, help to set our path straight, to bring opportunity for introspection so we can examine ourselves and see if we line up and are in faith according to the Word of God. I believe it's all a part of God's design, but I also know that as the Holy Spirit was ministering to me about preparing this message, that sometimes it's easy to get weary in well-doing. Amen? Because the process isn't easy. It's easy for us to look back at the decision that those ten spies made. I don't know if I wouldn't have been with those guys. I wasn't there. I wasn't faced with what they saw. I wasn't faced with the difficulty. I didn't, you know, my family wasn't on the line. I wasn't charging off into that new territory with my kids in tow. So I don't know what it was like necessarily for them, but I knew it was difficult decisions that were being made. And so in the midst of your difficult decisions today, I want you to understand that you're not alone and that God is for you and not against you. Would you stand with me, please? Time flies when you're having fun. Holy smoke. It's almost 12 o'clock. Sorry. Jesus, I know you're doing a work in, in the lives of this congregation. I thank you for the process that we're in. And I thank you for an amazing outcome. But in this moment, Lord, I ask for strength for each person to stay focused, to stay well, to stay open to the, to the hearts of people that are for them and not against them, to be able to hear that it's not just a lunch thing. Jesus is trying to intervene in your life. And that moment, if not taken lightly, could change your trajectory. And it's a God-designed moment. I'll interrupt my prayer to say this, that three days before, a pastor of a local church and one of his leaders also asked to call me and basically didn't tell me the family part, but they told me the same thing as it relates to um, being a spiritual leader in this community. So, Father, I want to personally thank you in front of all of this congregation that you're faithful to complete what you start. And you don't leave us hanging in an awkward place, in an awkward place that doesn't make sense for very long. And so I ask, Lord, for God encounters with this, this body this week. That if things have gotten out of order or, or the trajectory has gotten off, I ask, Lord, for a realignment in the name of Jesus. Father, set things in order. Help us to be reminded of what you've told us in the past and go forward with that in the forward part of our understanding, not the awareness of the obstacle. And God, forgive us when you've declared that we're a giant and we believe that we're a grasshopper. 
So we bind that grasshopper spirit today in the name of Jesus, that mentality that says that we're less than what God declares us to be. And we release ourselves in this body from that assignment of the enemy against us. We break those words that have been spoken over us and received into our, our mindset. And we thank you, Lord, for delivering us and setting us free. We ask for an amazing week. We ask for a God-filled week. And I thank you, Lord, for awakening our destiny once again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you so much.